Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 43 of the Bell Line Lines podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Dr. Herb Sorensen, author of the book Inside the Mind of the Shopper, uh, where we're going to talk about retail and shopping behavior of people in an offline environment. And so, Dr. Sorensen is an international speaker on shopper insights, and he's been consulting with Fortune 100 brands for over 35 years, uh, working on optimizing the shopping experience for customers uh, in an offline environment. And so, we get into a lot of topics in this episode, uh, big data, uh, offline shopping, uh, Amazon, you know, Walmart, uh, future of e-commerce, and a lot of kind of other random things. So before we start, a quick update on the e-commerce training course I've been working on. One of our listeners, Dean Shipley, mentioned he'd like to have a basic one-on-one module dedicated to using SEO tools, so uh, how they apply to an e-commerce environment. And so what you'll realize is that a lot of the tools, uh, such as Market Samurai, uh, they'll tell you how it works, but they don't really tell you the right context and how to apply this tool and how you should interpret the data, especially for a beginner that's using it for the first time. You know, when you just get into it, it can be very daunting to see all these uh, abbreviations like you know AWCPC, SCOC, uh, you know all these you know BLP, BLD, these kind of terms and so you know something that could just explain what is what and how we use it and why it's there uh, would be really helpful so that's something I'll be including in the course uh, if this is interesting to you uh, you can find this helpful uh, stay tuned and join the email list to get more updates about that it'll be out once this cold I have uh, goes away you could probably tell by my voice it's kind of weird so uh, before we start we also have a couple more five star iTunes review this one comes from Roberto at throwboy.com he says hey Terry I found your podcast when it was featured on the iTunes What's Hot section is now I don't miss an episode. My e-commerce site throwaway.com sells geeky throw pillows and we've been looking to upgrade our site recently. I love hearing all the different advice and discussions on your show and can't wait to put it to use on my own site. Keep up the good work. And so thanks so much, Roberto. I actually checked out your site and for anyone listening, you guys should go check out his site too, uh, throwboy.com. So he sells... Uh, small little pillows that have like chat slang, like LOL, OMG, WTF, uh, GTFO, VRV. And they also have uh, superhero pillows that are kind of shaped like a little geeky Batman, uh, Spider-Man, Captain America, or uh, even Iron Man. So uh, check it out, throwboy.com, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, With that being said, let's get into this week's episode. So most of my listeners of the show are basically e-commerce entrepreneurs, uh, just maybe first-time or second-time people. Maybe they have a job, they're trying to get started online, or this is something they're doing already. And so I guess uh, what a lot of them don't have is, I guess, offline retail experience or insights. So that's kind of why I wanted to get you on to uh, share your thoughts. Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I don't think offline retail experience would be terribly helpful anyway. Uh, The primary reason for for that is because the bottom line is, that uh, retailing is all about selling. Now, it's true there's two other pieces. There's the logistics of getting the product together with the, sh- with the shopper, and then there is the matter of the transaction of money. Uh, transaction of money is basically duck soup. Not that there won't be a lot of progress in that over the coming years, 
uh, with the mobile wallet, et cetera. But basically, the mobile wallet will become a personal salesman too, a shopping assistant. But uh, the bottom line is that uh, online is uh, far ahead of offline retailing in terms of understanding how to sell the uh, sell the shopper. And I I have often said the premier salesman salesman I emphasize in the world is uh, Jeff Bezos. Period. And the reason Amazon has done super well isn't because they're really, really good programmers and they've got this and they've got that, blah, blah, blah. Nothing matters except Bezos is a super salesman and he's using algorithms to accomplish that. And that's the thing because online you can measure basically anything as soon as they visit your site, how they get there, what they do on your site. And offline, it's really hard, right? Because how do you do this in like a supermarket? This is kind of where you come in, right? Yes, exactly. And, and uh, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago, Peter Fader at Wharton pointed out to me that the uh, relationship between uh, online and offline and that uh, whereas uh, online you've got a click stream click 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 you can actually watch what's going on in the shoppers mind you can interact with that etc in the store there there is also a click stream uh, as the shopper clicks down the aisle with their cart going from here to here to here to here uh, unfortunately you do not have the electronic record of that in the same way that you do online. But the process is very, very much alike. And that's why years ago, years ago I used to do a, a presentation titled The Amazonification of Walmart because it's basically uh, online has a great deal more to teach offline than the reverse. The reverse is, uh, if, if you'll uh, forgive me, is uh, the, the on offline retailer is basically brain dead in terms of actually selling the shop or anything. There are merchant warehousemen that uh, run these little neighborhood warehouses, and quite frankly, self-service means shopper sell yourself. And that's what they've done for 100 years. And it's been 100 years since people online, uh, offline actually sold anybody anything. So what does that mean? Can we just go deeper into that in terms of brain dead selling? Like, say I go to like a Ralph's or a Rite Aid. I mean, is, is it because I have to explore the store myself? Is that what you're talking about? Or yeah, exactly. And it, it, I, I sometimes uh, uh, when I refer to these as uh, many uh, many neighborhood warehouses, uh, I point out the shopper is basically a stock picker, and uh, the warehouse is laid out in a grid style manner. And uh, the shopper essentially approaches it like a maze. How they get through that maze uh, is very difficult, uh, number one. And uh, my colleague, uh, Peter Fader, and his associates published a paper probably 10 years ago on the, the traveling salesman go shopping and the problems that, uh, of the gross inefficiency of the shopper in that process. Now, here is the, when I say brain dead, yeah. You think you can find any uh, bricks retailers who actually would like to hold the shopper in the store longer? You know, only every one of them. Whereas in online, it was very early learned that the quicker you could get them to the checkout, the more likely you were to make a purchase. Now, it's fine to add something onto that, that purchase, but the longer you wait to close, the less, the more likely they're going to wander off. Yeah, and the thing is, it's funny because online, you just search what you want in a store. You don't need to go through different aisles and look for what you want and everything, too. 
Well, it's more targeted. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I have a views. Uh, it, have you been on shopperscientist.com? On, uh, uh, no. Okay. Well, there's a list of all the things I've written since I wrote the book. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, called Views from the World of Shoppers, uh, Retailers, and Brands. Not the most recent one, but the one before that is titled Googling the Store and uh, how that uh, two search processes are going on. This happens all online. You're searching for what you want to buy, but the people out there who want to sell are searching for you in reverse. And I discuss how Google, uh, how Google manages that process. Well, the same thing is true uh, in the store. Only thing is in the store, the retailer uh, you know, is almost oblivious uh, to searching for you. They put it all on you. Isn't that that they give no consideration to the shopper whatsoever? But um, it's nothing compared to online. I, I I can just tell you that, in my opinion, as I said before, uh, online has very close to zero to learn from offline, and offline has trouble. And is this like a mindset issue or a corporate culture issue, or is just the way the industry's been? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, no, yes, it is a corporate culture issue, and that's why I come back to the thing. Because, listen, uh, I see lots of online uh, retailers that are dumber and stumps. I mean, everybody isn't a Jeff Bezos. I mean, you need to study very, very carefully how Amazon goes about this. And as a matter of fact, if you look at, um, there, there's, a, there's a book, I think it's titled One Click or something like that. It's about uh, Bezos and Amazon. It's a very short book. And one of the programmers there uh, made a comment that uh, they used to have a joke that the, the ideal website would be one which showed only one product on the, on the screen. No menus, no selection. Here's one product. It's the next one you want to buy. And all you have to do is say, okay. Now, that's perfection. That is absolute perfection. Okay, but obviously, you know, Amazon, you know, don't, doesn't do that, but they do as close to that as they can get. That is the whole goal is reading the shopper's mind to understand exactly what it is that they're looking for here or are likely to buy and get that up in front of them just as quickly as you can. Yeah, and it's really about reducing the friction so that basically you just say yes and then you don't have to do exactly. anything, anything else. One click. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I remember years ago when, he, when they started with one click, you know, and I thought, big wow, you know. I mean, it was the concept behind it that is maybe more important than the actual functionality. But uh, it just, sh it just again, shows more of how Bezos thinks. Now, look, I'm not by any means saying the online retailers think this way. No, no, uh, you know, particularly people coming from the tech world. They have no experience in selling or sales, and they have no understanding of the process. And everything is, you know, throw a bunch of mud on the wall and see what sticks and yeah, you'll make some progress, okay? But you won't make progress like, like the geniuses at the front of the pack, like Bezos. I, I mean, I keep mentioning that. You know? <laughs> I don't know what else to say, you know. And look, look there are other really outstanding uh, online retailers, uh, whatever. I, 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 don't, um, I don't presume to be an expert on everybody's retail, either online or offline, okay? I basically look for the top performers, Okay, there's lots of bottom performers, so I don't care much about them. All I want to know is who's doing the very, very best 
and I'm going to study what they're doing and how they're doing. And I have found the personal sales motif to be the dominant rule of thumb to determine and to spot what they're doing that's right and uh, as well as what they're doing that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the personal sales motif. Can we just go into more detail about what you mean exactly by that? Well, look, a, a guy who's made his living, and as a matter of fact, I've done a huge amount of this myself. I started doing personal selling when I was six to eight years old, okay? Selling stuff door-to-door, candy, magazines, books, you know, whatever, uh, cards uh, on whatever. Uh, so I have a lot of experience with it, but I don't say that I'm necessarily that good. But here's the point. A person that looks people eyeball to eyeball, day after day, year after year, seeking to get them to buy this or that or the other thing, learns a huge amount about that process. Now, I'm the type of person, if I know somebody's the top salesman of the world, I'm not just going to tip my hat. I'm going to get into this guy as deeply as I can to figure out what's going on here. And that whole the lack of curiosity about selling is astounding, both in the online world and in the offline world. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you selling gets like a bad rep, I guess most of the time. But if you look at all the really successful guys like Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, they're oh. they're they're great salespeople. They're great at you selling got- the story and the product. Look, the fundamental rule is. Nothing happens till somebody sells something. Uh, yeah, I mean, selling's got a bad rap, but look, the whole world moves by the sale. The salesman moves the world, period. Okay, now I can give you a real quick synopsis on that. It goes like this. When society was primitive, everybody had to do everything for themselves. But there is an economic principle called, or, uh, you know, commercial pr- economic principle called the division of labor. It means no. The guy in the village that's the best boot maker makes boots for everybody. And the guy that's best farmer, he does that. And everybody does what they're best at. And then we trade for all this stuff. And that leads directly, you know, past trading to money. And uh, all of a sudden, society becomes incredibly efficient because everybody's doing what they do best. And it turns out that the people who are able to link people who need things with people who produce things those are the most valuable, those are the people that are actually at the, at the uh, cutting edge of social evolution. That's why I've said over and over, and I think I even said it in the book, retailing is at the cutting of social evolution. Always has been and always will be. So it doesn't matter whether people, you know, look down on salesmen. Lots of them are really crappy, <laughs> just like anything. Everybody that does it isn't good. But man, oh man, if you've been sold by a good salesman, you've loved it. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like you you haven't been sold. It just seems very natural. You're like, yeah, I really wanted to buy this. and <laughs> Exactly. They're facilitating you fulfilling the wants and needs and desires of your heart. I mean, that's what they're really doing. They're not hawking something. They're not trying to talk you into this or that or whatever. They're looking for... Uh, well, quite frankly, I explain to people often, you know, they're looking for an itch that they can scratch. Man, the, 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 you know, the, the rest is mad. Yeah, there was a guest I had on the show who used to run a Mercedes dealership in Australia. It was like a $100 million dealership. And he was, he was like the top salesman there. And he said basically, you know, his philosophy sales is just setting up kind of the environment. And then the customer then takes the action. And it's not about being pushy now anymore, too, because, you know, pe- people are smart. You know, they know what they're looking for and you don't have to treat them like, you know, you don't have to hit them with a hammer over the head either. And you notice how Amazon is not pushy by when they have identified what they think you want because you've clicked on it. They immediately tell you. And by the way, you know, people who bought this, 
uh, also looked at this. And the, a certain percent bought this and a certain percent bought that and so on and so on. And you can look at it and say, well, yeah, I don't care what they bought. Or you can say, geez, you know, no wonder, uh, you know, 10% of the people that looked at this bought it. And uh, 60% of them looked at this other item and bought it. Whoa, what am I missing? You know, and Amazon doesn't give a damn what you buy. You know, just buy. Yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> you know? they've tested this whole setup algorithm thing to like the dot in the T. <laughs> in fact, I was shocked today. My uh, my wife told me that she was looking for a book on uh, on uh, some kind of flowers or whatever, whatever. And she said when she went on Amazon, uh, all of a sudden these books on flowers were popping up, and she hadn't even entered a th- anything yet. Well, the fact of the matter is that she had been searching on the internet before she arrived for flowers and flower books and whatnot. So when she came onto Amazon, Amazon picked up on that immediately. I mean, I don't know, they can smell it in the air. No, they're known as cookies. Yeah, the cookies <laughs> on her browser, yeah, interesting. Yeah, 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 so I mean, you know, come on, come on. You know, and as a matter of fact, that's why Google is lined up to rule the world. Yeah, you also see Google's having this kind of remarketing ads now. I don't know if you go on some websites, if you search for cookies, and you go to some other websites that have these kind of ads, you'll see cookie ads that'll follow you around. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. Now, 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 look, uh, as a matter of fact, I've written a, a short paper on this. Wharton has an initiative, it's called the Future of Advertising, and uh, they, they, they're uh, putting together a program on advertising 2020, uh, what it's going to be like in 2020. And uh, this, is a hu- this is a huge problem, is that... Uh, what we call big data, and uh, everybody is carrying a, a, a supercomputer on their on their hip or in their purse. You know, it's otherwise known as a smartphone. The phone uh, uh, function is is uh, subservient. What it really does is simply this: is this device links you to the cloud where big data exists. Number one. Number two. This device feeds big uh, additional data to big data and integrates it with it, the real uh, masters of the world moving forward are going to be the people who have the data in the cloud and, and know what to do with it and do not hector and hassle the people who are connected to it. Because uh, like, like I say, you're going to have um, your smartphone is going to be connected to this and, you know, the privacy issues become uh, uh, not a, you don't have any, like you know Scott McNeely said what a dozen years ago you have no privacy get over it this is going to become really real but here is the point whenever somebody touches you with the with the data if that is not helpful to you uh, you're going to spam them to hell I mean what I'm saying is you, you know your spam filter will ban them from contacting you so you're going to have this crowd of people all wanting to communicate and help you. But you will learn the ones that actually are helpful and the ones that are not. And this is going to be a huge, huge issue. Now, uh, I'll tell you another thing about that as far as a smartphone is concerned. Uh, This is a very important issue because if you think about it, if your smartphone is your connection to the cloud and all of your data and everything is in the cloud and and everybody else's data and you're getting access to it through this, you know, it's it's a mess in a way. No, somebody's organizing it for you and giving this all to you. And essentially, though, here's the big problem because you already have this struggling with the the smart wallet, the electronic wallet, you know. the problem is, is simply this. What if you lose this sucker? Your smartphone device, whatever it happens to be, and it'll be substantially better than it is today. I mean, Google Glass is only is only touching the uh, touching the surface on this, okay? 
I mean, this is just another I.O. that goes through this device, okay? You've got others like, uh, uh, you know about Prime? I think it's called Prime Source or something like that. Uh, you familiar with No, I don't. Okay, okay, you know Connect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Connect senses you and recognizes you. You're moving your hands. You're doing this and that and whatever, okay? I move my hands all the time, so I drive it nuts. But the point is simply this. Uh, Prime Sense are the people who developed and licensed Connect to um, to uh, Microsoft, but uh, they are way down the road from that in terms of the computer recognizing who you are, etc. Now, look, I tell people all the time, my smartphone must know me at least as well as my dog Penny does. You must not be possible that if I lose my phone, somebody else can use it. That phone needs to recognize me and only me. You understand what I'm saying? This is coming. Okay, I see PrimeSense as an example of it. I mean, Google Glass integrates in here. You got a lot of people playing in this. Okay, but the ultimate thing is your smartphone is your personal supercomputer. So it's almost like your phone will become like a personal ID device, your wallet, yeah. your computer, and like everything that identifies you. It's your alter ego. Alter ego. Okay. It's you. It's, it's funny. I had this conversation with my friend the other day who works at Google. And basically, if you use an Android phone, you know, you're on Wi-Fi. So Google knows where you're going, right? Because they can track you through your GPS. If you're in Gmail, they know what you're searching for. And they know if they can, if they just have, I mean, they have this data, but they just can't organize it yet, as I think right now, right? Because there's just so much information. And as smartphones, Android just gets bigger. I mean, it's just a matter of them where it's going to be like, you go to a mall, you check in, immediately some ad shows up where you get a discount if you go to this store. Because every business will have the Google places and everything too so yeah yeah well right on but i i will tell you this you know and i i, I look at the major players apple uh google amazon these are people with huge data i mean you can even go, move off of that into you know some of the computer companies all oh, probably not hp at this stage <laughs> but or uh, there's other players okay there's other players out there but here's the thing i want a point i wanted to make is simply this What's going on right now is just as significant as the early days of the PC. I mean, there were computers before the PC. I mean, before IBM came out with the PC, there were quite a few other computers. Nobody has developed the, uh, quotes, PC of the future, let's say, for the next uh, decade or two. Who has the power to do this? Is it Apple? Is it Google? Hey, and I didn't even think of this until I realized what Amazon is doing in terms of information and how, you know, buying and selling plays such a crucial role. I mean, they don't have so much your social interaction on, on Amazon, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people are pushing really hard on the pieces that they're the best at. Google is the premier information agent of the world because they don't uh, deal with structured data. You can throw all your data in a bucket and uh, their, uh, their algorithms look in the bucket and, uh, and figure out what's there. They don't move it around. They know where everything is and they address everything rather than shuffling stuff around. That's where you know people like Oracle, historically, they shuffle things into fields. So you had fields for this and this and this and this, you organize your data. Now, I'm told by people on the inside of these major database companies that all of them have unstructured data uh, operations at this point, okay, which is another way of saying, hey, they're taking another approach. Uh, don't move the data around, index it differently, okay? So, I mean, that's basically where, uh, uh, where we're going with in terms of data. I, I give Google Glass major uh, credit here in terms of being uh, out there on the edge. 
because basically, you know, they're they're looking at augmented reality. You know about augmented reality, I presume. I've heard a little bit about it. Well, you know, Cadillac is. Uh, I forget whether it's two, uh, 2014 or I think it's twenty fourteen. There's supposed to be a model of Cadillac on the road with augmented reality, and you're driving through uh, thick fog, so thick you cut it with a knife, and you look at your windshield. And everything out there looks just normal because their sensors, uh, IR and every other kind of sensor on the front of that thing, are creating on the inside of your windshield what it would look like if you could see. Which means if a dog runs across the road, no problem that it's not optically visible. It'll show up on the inside of your screen. Now, that's augmented reality. But essentially, once you've got all of this data, then you can augment people's reality. And that's what Google is intending to do with these Google Glass. It's not just a, an input device to see what you're seeing, but it's an output device then to alter that. Like maybe, you know, uh, you look at a, you say, uh, ladies in the store, she's looking at a new dress and it's blue, you know, and whatever. She says, I wonder what this would look like in, in, if it was pink, you know, and bang on Google Glass, it looks pink. <laughs> yeah. Anything like this, this is augmented reality. Now, look, a lot of people have been doing a lot of experimentation with augmented reality. But I'm just putting it into the context here. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you look at the PC, the past 20 years, it was basically hardware-based, right? But now you're seeing everything, you know, even like the iPhone that's been out for less than five years, it's been commoditized and it's all about information and really data now because the cycle is so fast. Like, I think just coming out with the latest hardware, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's true. And, and uh, everybody's moving to the cloud and, uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, Tablets have accelerated that process because you don't have enough room on your, you know, you don't have a big drive on your uh, on your tablet and, you know, and whatever, whatever. Most people don't need it. They just work out of the cloud. But a lot of that depends on growing bandwidth. OK, so, I mean, it's just like with, uh, let's say, 10 times a, 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 a factor of 10 improvement in bandwidth would accelerate movement to the cloud incredibly. Yeah, and that's the bottleneck now. Right? I've, saw, I've seen a chart somewhere where band basically bandwidth is the bottleneck in terms of like hardware and data available, like, yeah, like exactly. keeping stuff moving. Right? Because once you get the bandwidth, then the processing power can all be in the, in the cloud instead of on your device. You don't need to have a big CPU. Because if you want to process something, you know, you do it remotely. I mean, it's just like logging in... Uh, uh, logging in from somewhere around the world to your office computer and uh, using it to compute something. And it report, you know, and you can see the screen. I mean, we've been doing this for 20 years, you know, remote, you know, remote computing. The I.O. I.O. becomes a lot more important. Now, it's too darn bad Steve Jobs isn't around because the guy was a genius at uh, reading I.O., what, what works, what will be an improvement, how will this work better, how will, you know, the touch and feel and, you know, the, the whole experience thing, okay? And I, I'm not down on Apple by any means. I mean, I'm still using a Mac, you know. There is some genius here in this process that's going to occur of uh, connecting this to, you know, Google Glass, a little tiny screen isn't going to do it. I mean, what most people are dealing with, experimenting with, uh, uh, with augmented reality is holograms. You know, so you create a hologram here, and you, you, you know, it's a three-dimensional object, 
you can stick your finger through it, but you know, it, there it is. And you, so you can show people things closer to life size, you know? Right. And so I want to go back to a couple of concepts in your book a little bit. So, you know, uh, there was one thing you mentioned how there were three types of shoppers offline. I just kind of wanted to go a little bit into that because I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I guess yeah. you had the quick trip, uh, the fill-in, and the stalker, right? So kind of what are the three archetypes? Can you go into more detail about those? Okay, and th- th- referring to the quick trip, the fill-in and the stock up and whatever as three archetypal type trips. Now, what I have uh, discovered uh, and documented, I feel quite solidly is simply this. When a person buys one or two items in the store, maybe even three, it's a qualitatively different process than buying 10 items. Well, it isn't just like, well, or nine items. Buying nine items isn't just the same thing as buying three, only three times longer, three times as much. No, there is a qualitative difference. I actually observed this back in, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, but didn't understand the significance of it exactly. We had a type of trip in the very first path tracker studies we did and uh, that we referred to as an excursion. And that was because we noticed people came into the store and made a beeline for a single product somewhere in the store and a beeline from there to the check stand. For memory, I think this constituted like two, three, four, five percent of the shopping trips. And we call it an excursion because the person was obviously highly motivated to get to this one spot. They picked up the product, they went to the checkout and they left. What we're quite certain, I won't go through all the data behind this now, but I, I don't think of that as so hypothetical anymore. I'm quite certain this happens because the store that's a grid, even if it is a grid, most people can find one item fairly efficiently when they come in the front door. Yeah. The, in terms of like if I'm buying contact lens solution, I know I go to the pharmaceutical aisle and kind of if I and I see something similar that's like bottles, that's where I go and then I get it and then I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the reality is that a single item purchase the grid doesn't matter because uh, you come in, you're, you know, you're focused and, you know, actually, you know, even your navigation to it, like you said, well, you're going to go to the, uh, the pharmaceutical bot, you know, the aisle and, you know, and whatever, whatever. You know, actually, we know a lot of that is driven subconsciously. You, you don't have to ask where to go. Your bod knows and you're off on your way to there. Yeah, you, you may be uh, amening it as you go along, okay. But the point is, it's a very simple process to get to one item. If you go to two items, these trips are also qualitatively different. A two item trip is qualitatively different. It's not just one fifth of a 10 item trip. It's more like a one item trip. You go from uh, from the door to the one item, then you go from that item to the, to the second item, okay? And then, to the checkout. Now that process there is a lot more like the one item purchase than the others are. Okay, now when you do three items, you're transitioning. It's mostly like a one and two item trip. If you have only three items, okay, but I'm going to tell you by the time you get to four items, all of a sudden there's other factors and we don't know, uh, you know, I can, I can propose some of these, but like, for example, well, which one should I go to first? And which, see, if, you, if you're on, only doing two items, that's not a big question. It doesn't matter. You just go to one and then you go to the other and you're done. And if you have one, it isn't an issue at all. You're only going to one. If you go to three, 
again, you can go to one and two, and then the third one will fall into place. Okay, but by the time you get to four, it begins to become very confusing, and the store moves from being a relatively transparent non-maze to a maze. Yeah, because you want to logistically plan out how you're going to go through the store, like if you're going to miss this and you have to go back, and then... <laughs> yeah, and, there's no, and this is what Fader, Fader and his team at Wharton showed 10 years ago with uh, the traveling... You can find that on the web, the traveling salesman goes shopping. And the fact of the matter is people waste an incredible amount of time in the store, you know, false navigating, you know, going places they don't need to go, re revisiting places they've already been, on and on and on and on. Well, this comes because it's a maze rather than, you know, uh, otherwise. Uh, when you say the one and two item purchase or and, and uh, that if you say quick trip because it's short, we, we have a lot of data on this that shows that the number of items people people purchase doesn't correlate well with the uh, uh, with how many items they purchase, but the correlation at low numbers, like with one and two, is is much better. Anyway, the uh, you know that's more detail than you need. The point of the thing is that uh, yeah, one and two is one and two and maybe three items is an archetypal uh, trip. It is qualitatively different. It's what I call a rabbit trip as opposed to the rest of them are tortoise trips. And so this ties into your other concept where stores should simplify. Is that, is that, am I correct? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so this is, I brought this up because the other day I was at a Trader Joe's uh, before I gave a presentation about e-commerce and I was looking at potato chips and you had like like curry flavor, nacho cheese flavor, fiery flavor, you know, salsa flavor. You just had all this choice and you just stand there and you end up spending like two minutes thinking like, oh, what do I want? Which brand do I want it for? Each brand has like seven different choices. And yep. I guess that's why, why we're wasting time in these stores, right? Well, that's one of them. That's the selection choice. You have two choices in the store. Where do I go? What do I buy? Those are the two choices that you have to make. And uh, any good salesman would help you with both of those things. Navigation and selection. Those are the two brain burners. It's interesting because this ties into online too, whereas, you know, if your page isn't like your navigation isn't set up right or it's very counterintuitive, everyone could just, they could just click to a different store and it's much easier to leave online than, to, you know, go in your car offline, drive somewhere else and look for a different store, right? So, right. And so if you say, you know, you said earlier that if online has nothing to learn from offline, I mean, then is offline dead or where do you see offline going then? Oh, no, no, no. Offline is not dead. I mean, because again, remember there's three parts. One is the, uh, you know, the money, we've talked about that a little bit, okay, and about what needs to happen there. You know, your smartphone needs to know you as well as your dog does, et cetera. There is the decision process. Basically, uh, offline has, has everything to learn on the decision process from online. And that's what true selling is, okay? That's the meeting of the minds. That's what selling is all about. Selling isn't about delivery. Selling isn't about the money. I mean, those come with it, okay? But selling is what goes on between the mind of the seller and the mind of the buyer. Uh, Amazon is the, is the premier selling organization in the world. Uh, Google is the premier information organization in the world. Uh, Walmart is the premier logistics organization in the world because you got to get the people and the stuff together. Yeah, you need all three to kind of all yeah, to work together. It takes all right? three. Now, Amazon is wailing on the uh, logistics end of the thing. They can certainly out-warehouse Walmart, or at least they can do as well. 
In fact, Amazon purchased a major automated warehouse company two, three years ago. I mean, anyway, they're way up on this. But of course, Walmart's still number one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're trying to beat them through the logistics game and efficiency, whereas... Well, you won't beat the top guy, but you, you can equal him. Okay, you can equal him. Here's part of the logistics problem that people ignore. Okay, just like I mentioned about, okay, the, the store and the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the maze. Well, when it comes to the delivery, uh, oh, oh, uh, let me tell you first about that uh, archetypal quick trip, the one or two item, maybe three item purchase. Uh, you know, the characteristic is not they buy A, B, or C or X, Y, and Z. It is not a suite of merchandise. And uh, I learned this from Mike Twitty. In fact, he has a chapter in my book on this. But uh, the single de de predominant characteristic of the quick trip is immediacy. When person buys one item, they need that one item right now. Or two. Or even three. I mean, you don't go to the store and say, oh, I'm going to see if maybe I can pick up something. I mean, what? I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it isn't that nobody's ever done anything like, but that's just not the way it happens. I mean, look, if, for example, uh, you need a battery for your flashlight and uh, you look in the drawer and it's empty and the batteries are dead, what do you do? Yeah, you go to the battery aisle and that's all you do. <laughs> you get batteries and, and that's what you get. You feel your need and you're on your way. Uh, if you break your shoestring, uh, same thing. I mean, there's a, almost anything in the store could be a single item purchase. All it means is that does anybody ever have an immediate need for this? And the answer is almost everything, yeah. <laughs> In the right context, it could be a... So that's why if you try to figure out, well, what do people buy on a one or two item trip? Yeah, sure, there's milk and bread. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, no question, okay? But the rest of the stuff they buy is such a huge suite. Now, here's the point. They're going to the store to buy one item or two. What is often overlooked in the logistics issue is the store doesn't deliver to where it's needed. The store delivers it to the store and the shopper uses their own transportation to get to the store and their own transportation to move that item to where it's needed. To get a complete understanding of retailing, you've got to understand that because uh, uh, and, of course, this is one of the things that, that online uh, has a clear advantage on uh, uh, in the sense that you need it at home, you can order it at home, and they'll deliver it home. Uh, maybe the next day or two days or, you know, whatever. But, but the point is there is a logistics cost in that. And you look at it and you say, well, geez, isn't it very expensive to be delivering all of these one and two and three item purchases to homes all over the world? Well, the fact of the matter is it's no more expensive than having those people coming to the store for those one, two or three items. It's just that you've hidden the cost. Yeah, you've hidden the cost in the shipping and the back end, I guess. Right? Exactly. Exactly. But it, do it doesn't mean that it's not there. Again, immediacy where do people buy one or two items? At the convenience store. It's called a convenience store for a reason, because it's convenient. And why do you buy something at convenience in a C store? It's because you need it right now. Yeah, and you're willing to pay a little bit more than to go to some place like Costco, too. Price doesn't matter. And so, you know, if Quick Trip is such 
a big deal. Like, where does fill-in and stock-up archetypes come into? Then are these guys just like you know browsing around or like? Yeah, it's whether you're filling in or whether you're saying, "Geez, my cupboards are empty. I'm going to go and just get everything." You know, that's the stock-up. But uh, you will do fill-in trips uh, regularly until things are looking uh, quite pathetic in the larder. Then you'll go for a stock-up. There's another concept where you said you'd have to design for the quick trip in terms of offline retail. There are several reasons. Number one is it's, it represents, well, let's put it this way. 50% of the shoppers coming in the store buy five or fewer items. And to design a store for those who buy six or more only, which I've had retailers tell me, well, our target demographic is the stock-up shopper. Well, I point out to them, uh, who do they think is buying one item? It's a stock-up shopper. They're just not on a stock-up trip. By treating these people crappily as they do, they're saying, well, we don't want you to come in here unless you need, need a bunch. Go away. And here's another reason for doing it. Not only are there lots of them, but they're very price insensitive. They don't care about the price. So, for example, here's a technique that I've used on a number of occasions with retailers. Uh, you know, produce is ordinarily about the first department of the store you come into. There's a lot of good reasons for that. But one of the things I have them do is I have them take a, uh, uh, either a four or six foot section in the produce uh, on the wall display and uh, put, put milk in it. And you only put their premium product at a premium price because you'll have a hard time keeping the case filled and you'll be selling milk to people who really want to grab it right now, they're not interested in going to the back corner of the store, and they're glad to pay you an extra 50 cents or a dollar for a gallon of milk. Oh, and this is because they're on the quick trip looking for milk, but the produce section is the first place you get into. So they're going to see that, and they just go to the checkout section. And, and they will learn. They will learn in time. You know, remember, these are stock-up shoppers. They're just on a quick trip now. So they, they know, oh, yeah, 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 I can just run in there and grab this. Now, you can follow that same concept, and the crucial thing is, is that always cater to the quick tripper, but always expect them to pay for the effort you're putting into catering to them. So, yes, you will have sandwiches conveniently located at the checkout, but those sandwiches will cost more than the ones that you would get if you went back to the deli. Yeah, I noticed that. Like, yeah, in supermarkets, yeah, that's what I've seen, actually. Like, there's, like, the cheese and the vegetables that they already cut for you and the fruit, and it's kind of near the checkout area. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. The quick tripper will pay you and bless you for it. Whereas if you went to the deli or you even bought the raw materials yourself inside the, the same store, right? Oh, yeah. I guess this could tie into online, too, whereas if you... I guess you could put some of your bestseller products, you know, on the front page or somewhere kind of like the produce and the milk section thing, kind of apply that to your store. I guess that would probably make sense too, huh? Yeah, it, it, it probably would. I mean, the point is simply this. <laughs> if I was running an on now look, I mean, I am not an expert on online retailing, okay? So, you know, when I make suggestions or whatever, it isn't because I've tried it. But I'm just telling you, if I was doing it as a salesman, for example, if I was Amazon, I would always have, when a person pulls up a page and they've selected this book, uh, I would, and they pretty well do this in the sense of saying, most people that looked at this book bought this one. So in a way that Amazon is doing this, but it would be, to, uh, I would always uh, offer them, you know, the top rated product because a person goes on to Amazon and they're going to buy something and it costs 
1895. They're going to take it on a camping trip and uh, they don't know whether, I mean, is that good or is that, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, the way Amazon could help me better than anything else, they could sell me one for $45 if they would guarantee it. this is the best in class. You can't get something better. And I'm not talking about better for the money. I'll worry about the money. You tell me what the very best item here is. I'll decide whether I want it or whether I want one of these lesser versions. Now, I realize when you start doing that, then you're getting into, you know, rating and whatever, and there's all the problems with people cheating on ratings and blah, 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 blah. But they do it all the time anyway, you know. But the point is, I mean, that's the fundamental element behind what everybody's trying to do. That is social marketing, by the way. Telling people, okay, this is what the experts have said is the best. Yeah, and this is what your friends say or people that have bought this also say. And Well, it's the credibility of that being said, though. The trouble is that most people that are rating things are paid to do it. And you know, like consumers report, you can't you can't quote them. So I guess the next step, you just use your friends, and that's kind of where social search comes in too, right? I guess. Yeah, yeah. If your friends are all geniuses, and you know they're really good at evaluating products, or do they buy all the same stupid stuff? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, whatever. Okay, okay. So I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that to be another problem of social search. I noticed IKEA the way it's designed, it kind of guides you through the whole maze. And so why did they do it that way? Whereas if we're like you go to like Bed Bath and Beyond, they just lay everything like a grid, right? No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. But see, uh, first of all, that's been addressed uh, uh, several places. In fact, I have some views on this. The path to purchase is often a U-turn, and I discuss Stu Leonard's and Costco. Now, Costco is the one you'll find a surprise because Costco, compare it to Ikea. And here's the thing. What I didn't know uh, until, you know, about a year ago uh, when I, uh, from looking at some data, I became aware that the people who shop Costco are shopping it uh, on a single path like Ikea. Oh, let me think. When I go to, I guess, yeah, kind of. There is a big wide aisle that goes right in past the home electronics Turn right, go to the back of the store along this big wide aisle, go across the back of the store in this big wide aisle, return to the front in the big wide aisle, making short jogs here and there if you're really interested in something in these other places. Number one, they're so much better than Ikea because all the time you're in the center of the store, you can see the entire store. You know, oh yeah, there's tires over there. and Oh, there's the food over there. And, oh, it's clothing over here. And there's this and there's this and there's this. You can see everything, okay? But it's not shoved in your face. They've got the big aisle for that and they have promotionals Boom, 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 right down the aisle. Oh, and then you just leave your cart there and then you run to the little aisle, you get something and then you come back to the middle because that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so those become uh, the, the, the little brief excursions. You do a little excursion here, a little excursion there. But the net result is the vast majority of people that go through a Costco do so in the same amount of time because they're moving like a crowd down this aisle, around, and on the way back. And when you leave, you get a pizza or you get a smoothie or you get a chicken raft to go. <laughs> Look, uh, Costco is, uh, is uh, one of the most brilliant retailers in the world. If you want to look at the BRICS world, the two finest retailers in the BRICS world are Costco and Stu Leonard's. Yeah, because every Costco is the same. Like, I live in Asia here. It's designed almost exactly the same as the U.S. ones. Yep. In terms of all the format. Like, you even go up the second floor, and then you, like, work your way down, and then, like... <laughs> So we've been on the horn for about like an hour or so. I don't want to take up too much of your time. 
Yeah, so so where can we find you online if our audience wants to find out more about your writing or your book? It's uh, Shopper, Shopper Scientist, one word, shopperscientist.com. Yeah. All right, well, thanks so much, Herb, and you have a nice trip to Moscow, and then I'll keep in touch via email, I guess. Sounds good. We'll be in touch. Bye-bye. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.